is your host Allie from Living Life with Allie and naming pick disease type B. Um, so if you're just coming on here, welcome. My name is Allie and I am t- just going to be talking about my disease and bringing a little awareness to what the disease is and how dangerous it could be living with it and just how someone like me lives with it. Today's a little off day. I have a cold, so I'm kind of everywhere, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from making one of these podcasts. So let's jump right into it. So I last talked about, I last talked about just how basically um, how I came into terms with the chronic illness and how it's affected me over the years, how it's affected my family, and how it's affected my friends, just everyone around me, but that it doesn't change who we are and that something like this has actually grown not only me, but everyone around me. Um, just to help us grow a little more and help us research a little more and, you know, it, it has helped everyone in my family be aware on what to look out for, like, when somebody's pregnant because, um, this disease is, like I said, it's very rare, but the weirdest thing is, out of my whole family, I am the only one that has this disease and we have no idea how I came in contact with it. All we know is that it is a genetic disease, but my parents don't have it. Both my mom and my father were not the carriers, but I, but I was. And then my two brothers, um, were not carriers along as well along with my younger brother my stepbrother he was also not a carrier so yay I am the lucky one (laughs) no I'm just kidding this disease um like I said it could be a curse but I never allow it to be a curse I always try to look at the positive side and I always remember like no matter how bad that it gets, I always have that perspective in the back of my mind that God is always with me. God gave me this for a reason and that the Lord is good and he wouldn't have given it to me if I didn't know how to handle it. So that's how I like to see it. So anyways, let's jump on in. So a lot of you know, like I've mentioned, it is a rare disease, but let's go back to the beginning. So when my mom found out that she was pregnant with me, um, you know, I was living a normal baby life. Um, and around this time when my mom was pregnant with me, she was also working two jobs and my father was working 
that he was where was he he was ranked an e5 surgeon in the army so you know he worked a lot with nbc nuclear chemical warfare and a lot of decontamination things so during that time even till now i mean in my eyes i like to say my father i would say that my father is a very respectable veteran um when i did get sick he was honorably discharged i think let me see let me make sure my notes are correct Yeah, he did get an honorable discharge from my from what I remember my parents telling me. Um so yeah, like I said, during that time it just, you know, it was a it was a sort of thing that nobody wishes on new parents. You know, as parents when they find out they're pregnant they're pregnant you know they hope for the best they pray that their child is healthy they you know they pray that you know they don't get sick um unfortunately you know i was i was lucky and honored let's just say that i was lucky because little did we know that this disease has progressed and made me the person I am today which honestly my whole family and myself included would I would have never thought I would have made it to 26 years old honestly like there's a time limit time limit when it comes to having Lyme disease and the time limit for type B is um the time limit is as early as adult childhood to be completely honest so uh, for me being 26 years old today and being here and being able to live the life that i wanted and living a healthy life and having a job having amazing friends having an amazing family and an amazing relationship that is i honestly i'm blessed And most may think, oh my god, you know, you're sick, how do you live with that, how do you get through it, are you, you know, yes, I'm not gonna lie, I have my bad days, I have my bad days, I just want to sit and cry, like I said, but I also have that memory of self-control, thinking, you know what, I'm allowed to have a bad day, but I can't let it push me down, so going back to that, um, so, Well, my parents, you know, were doing their thing, working, and my mother was working her new, her two jobs, and my dad was dealing with his army military career. That you know, that's a lot for young parents as well. You know, my my parents were young around this time, so they were going through a lot. But I remember my mom saying to me that that one day she was. I don't remember if she was sitting with me or if she was just laying with me or I don't know what we were doing. Um but 
I do remember that my mom said that she felt this lump on my stomach, around my my stomach area, around my abdominal area. And let me remind you, I was only, say, 15 months around this age, around this time. And the year was 1997. So, um, yeah, you know, it was 1997. You know, my mom was doing her thing. My dad was doing his thing. And then I remember my mom saying that she started to notice this, like, lump around my stomach area and you know as a mother you have these maternal instincts like you're praying and hoping that nothing is wrong but my mom was dead set on this gut feeling that something was wrong with me that you know that this lump wasn't right this you know just wasn't right for a 15 month year old so um you know, as a 15-month, you know, you can't, you can't really explain the pain you're going to. I mean, you, you can as a child, but it's like, how are you supposed to explain something that's hurting that much and when the pain worsens? Like, as a 15-month-old child, all you want to do is cry. All you want is your parents. You know, you just want that emotional affection around this time. So during that time my mom started taking me to, you know, the doctors. My mom started taking me to the doctors and she said, you know, hey, there's something on her, there's this lump and she's in pain. And the doctors basically, they just dismissed my mom just by saying, oh, you know, it's just gas. She just probably has gas, that's all it is. It's probably just, you know, nothing to worry about, you know, just, um, just, you know, you know, um, basically they just told her, you know, just try to get the gas, gas out of her, let it go through, let it pass. But my mother was, like I said, my mother was dead on, you know, she just felt, okay, nothing, something's the matter. Not, nobody's doing nothing for her, you know, this lump is getting, it was getting bigger. The bump on my stomach was enlarging. And I was starting to get sicker and sicker and more ill. And I think at one point my mom said that my color didn't look right. So, you know, as a mom, what are you supposed to think is going on? As a mom, you have these maternal instincts. Of course, it's not going to be gas. So they, she knew that these doctors were just not doing anything to the hospital. So my mom followed her maternal instincts and she ended up taking me to the Balboa Naval Hospital that was located uh, in San Diego. And, um, you know, during this time, as they saw the, the bump, my mom explained to them, you know, it's getting larger, she's getting more sick, you know, I need to know what's going on. So I guess during this point, my mom mentioned that they started, they started telling my mom that, um, they started telling my mom, you know, that I am, that I basically just needed testing, just, you know, do tests. 
so the doctors decided to take me to the radiologist. Um, they did a, I don't know if they did a CAT scan. They did some type of scan during this time. I, I can't quite remember. You no, know, I was only 15 months here, 15 months old. So um, during this time, I, both my parents were there, thankfully, because um, you know my dad wasn't gonna let his only daughter go through that alone uh, my mom during the time and you know my mom was worried about me she was honestly just incredibly worried and so was my dad even my dad noticed that I was sick and ill and just you know something wasn't right with his little girl so then um as they were doing this and the radiologists were like doing the scans they um They basically said, here's the CAT scan, or here's the scan, and they were like literally handing the DVD or video or however they did it back then. They literally gave it to my parents, and they said, you need to take this to your doctor fast. Now, only imagine hearing those as young parents, hearing those words that you need to take this. You know, I'm pretty sure they were worried, pretty sure they you know, thought the worst of the worst was going to happen. And, you know, my parents had it, my parents had it rough, but they made me who I am today. Um, so they, the doctors basically told them to take the scan to my doctors as fast as they could. Um, while that was happening, I I think, you know, skipping forward, I was around 18 months. Um, 18 months is when these these new doctors or the doctors finally, um, they finally said to my parents that, or they finally diagnosed me and told my parents that I was diagnosed with Neiman Pick disease. Um, you know, doctors did more testing to discover which type I had. Um, once they did find out the type that I had, they did, they told my parents, you know, the best thing that you can do right now for your daughter is just to transfer her, you know, they want, they told them just transfer her to Children's Hospital, and this, that's where they can do more testing, they can do, you know, more, um, figure more out on my diagnosis and just really get a handle on what my disease was at this point. Um, so, I mean, yeah, my parents around this time, uh, as I remind you, I was only 18 months. My parents were really worried and very scared and, you know, I was their only child as of that time. Um, so, that that happened and then Unfortunately, you know, that was the hardest thing for not only a child, but a parent to go through. You know, I was in and out of hospitals. I was put on a donor's list to get a transplant. But unfortunately, you know, getting a bone marrow transplant, that can take, that can take months, even years to, you know, get the bone marrow transplant. Which, honestly, that kind of, like, really sucks. If you hear me sniffling, I apologize. I have, like, a cold right now. 
No, I mean, that, no. So I was on the waiting list for like, I want to say a couple of years. Um, or maybe a few months. I think my mom, I think my parents said a few, a few good months. But, you know, waiting a couple years, that wasn't ideal for me because, um, I kept getting worse. The bump kept getting bigger. I was getting more sick. Um, around two years old is when my health got really, really bad. It got so bad to where I had meningitis, pancreatitis, and by this time, by this time, my parents were very scared. They feared for my health, and I hate to say it, but they feared even more. They, and. I believe they felt that they were gonna lose their only child. Um, so, yeah, I mean, around this time, I was going through all that. I was very sick. Um, you know, as a kid, though, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what to think of it. Um, you know, you try to put a smile on. All you can, all you can do as a kid is know that you are in pain, but you don't know what the heck is going on as a child. Um, I do remember going through all of this, though. I, um, I do remember that my parents are always there for me, no matter what. Um, I think it was, um, I think it was sad that, you know, my father didn't get to do what he wanted to do, what he was intentionally made to do and that was to be in the military because my father my father is my best friend as long with my mom my brothers you know they are what keep me going so during this time you know i can only imagine the heartbreak that both my parents are going through i can only imagine you know it's a lot it's a lot as a parent and telling them that their child was diagnosed with a chronic disease such as Neiman Pick. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the child is going to make it. You know, there's, yeah, there's medications to be dealt with it, but you know, it's still a fear in the back of anybody's mind when it comes to Neiman Pick disease. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, years later, basically, we went through this for, like, let's see, we went there, we went through this for about, about good two to three years, with me being constantly sick and everything. Around 1999 of the month October is when my mom, by surprise, found out that she had gotten pregnant with my brother, Aaron. And in my opinion, I think it was a miracle because he was like, he was just like my miracle angel, my guardian miracle angel. Especially since I had gotten so worse during this time. So, I think he 
was he was my keeper you know he was my helper he was an angel that God sent down from above to help his sister and I love him for that he's an amazing brother no matter the differences we have now <laughs> uh, so yeah around that time my mom became pregnant and then let's see this is you know the doctors learning that my mom was pregnant so they you know they did some tests to make sure that she was healthy that the baby was healthy so that they could get the bone mail from my brother uh, let's see when everything was cleared and my mom and the baby were healthy they decided to do a bone marrow transplant through the umbilical cord and yes this point of procedure is very rare so it's I mean it's effective but it's very very rare to do but they needed the bone marrow transplant as soon as possible because otherwise if I didn't get it by I think that my mom said a certain amount of time that I could have possibly died so um, and let me remind you, my brother was only a baby. He was, he was just a baby while all this was happening. And, you know, it was just, you know, as a sister, you never want to put that kind of thing on your own siblings. So, I mean, it's just the hardest thing to have to put your relative or your sibling or anybody through that. And, you know, it's harder when you know that they're a baby but I remember I was so happy finding out when my mom was pregnant I was like beyond ecstatic even though I asked for a sister I was still like so happy having a little brother that I get to take care of but instead he ended up saving me um let's see so you know after that they just they wanted to do the transplant through the umbilical cord I was in the hospital from let me see I think I remember this I was in the hospital from around June till January and during this time I was scheduled for a splenectomy so they wanted to remove my spleen just because it was so enlarged and um due to my liver and everything else that was enlarged in due to the pneumatic disease they knew that my lungs couldn't handle this extra organ that was inside of me so it had to come out um i remember when i was when i came out of surgery though the nurses tried to set me up and they wanted me to eat, eat ice chips um but it was just, it was too hard for me. I couldn't do it. I mean, I think it was just too hard to swallow, you know, especially like after a tube or whatever that's going down your throat after surgery. It was just too hard. Um, uh, yes. That was, um, I think that was still 1999. Yeah, that was still 1999. So that was, like I said, that was from June to January when I was in the hospital. And that was very difficult 
for my parents to go through too because not only was my mom pregnant but you know they were they were dealing with a sick child as well and that was just something you know no parent should have to go through no parent at all should have to go through that so I am going to jump off I will we will get back to the story I'm gonna try to do these podcasts every week um or I mean I should say every every just getting into um, pretty much my surgeries and how everything was going to take off from there. So yeah, let's just jump right in. So around that time when I was going through, while my mom was pregnant and I was going through all that stuff throughout, throughout my life with the whole Neiman Pick disease. Um, like I said, I was getting worse, so um, none of the medications were helping. And the first bone marrow through my brother's umbilical cord unfortunately did not help. Um, so as this was going on, see, I was, like I said, I was in the hospital from, from June to January. And due to everything being enlarged due to the Neiman Pick disease. Now, let me get into what Neiman Pick is. Just so there's a little bit more understanding to, um, just so there's a little bit more understanding to the disease and how it can affect someone's body. So basically, um, like I said, there's three types. And A is the, um, Neiman Pick type A is the most harmful to a child, as I mentioned before, just because, um, once that child is born, they don't make it past infancy. And then with type B, the type that I have, um, it is is inherited, um, so it's basically involving lipid metabolisms. So with this, most people can experience a lot of buildup of the lipids in the spleen, um, their liver, lungs, bone marrow, and eventually their brain. Uh, I am blessed right now that it has not hit my brain and all the medications that I am on help just to uh, I want to say just to lessen uh, no 
not lessen so much, um, just to help stabilize um, my organs. And I'm like on 20 pills twice a day. Believe me, it used to be so much more when I was younger. I remember fighting the doctors with like so much about it. So, um, yeah, due to the different diseases, you know, there's different medications for each disease. Um, the prognosis of pick disease type B, also known as NPDB, it's about one-third of affected individuals. They have a cherry red spot eye abnormality, or they have um, what's called neurological impairment. So this is basically affecting like the brain, um, so they can cause like neurological symptoms such as dizziness, uh, vision loss, um, swelling in the brain, all that. Um, usually people with Neiman Pick disease type B, now this is a scary part um, for my parents and myself as well going through the process and when I was diagnosed with this disease, they had told us that um, some people with this type usually survive into adulthood. Uh, so I am one of the blessed ones. Unfortunately, Neiman Pick, like I said, Neiman Pick disease is not curable. There is medications that can stabilize it. And as long as you keep on with the medication and all the routine that goes with it, then it can pretty much stabilize both B and C. Unfortunately for type A, like I said, type A is a little more aggressive, especially for a child who is being like barely born. Um, yes, so let me get into it a little more. Um, like I said, my parents had no idea that I was diagnosed with this until the doctors from the naval hospital where my dad was stationed had said that they needed to take me to Children's Hospital to go see a special bone marrow transplant doctor, which is known as like oncology, oncology hematology, um, you know, that has a lot to do with cancer, but due to this disease being so rare, not a, you know, not a lot of people oversee this disease, so it's kind of hard to, I guess, see what doctor you need to go to for this disease. So yeah, with this, you know, I struggled a lot with different types of, just a lot of different types of, um, I don't know, like, hospitalizations, um, I was constantly doing doctor's appointments, all of that.
becoming a little more aware now now that people are like researching it a little more trying to find a cure there is a lot of um because I'm part of the name and pick disease from children's hospital so there's a lot of you know newsletters going out to me stating you know that there's some testing being done just something that could find I guess just to manage it a little bit more which you know is with like I said with these different three types it is very dangerous to live with and very scary to live with I know I am scared constantly every day about my disease but I do not let it stop me from living. <clears throat> so, name pick disease. This um, it is also called ASMD which is basically acid now excuse me I always chop this word up syphagluminous deficiency and this is basically a specific uh, esma acid that is found in the special compartments within the cells called the lysomes and it is required to metabolize all um a lipid so this is like the fats that you know this helps the fats break down to so let's just say like i don't know you're eating like a hamburger so a normal body person would be able to break down those fats like as soon as possible for me it's a bit harder due to my disease you know my fats don't break down how it should so it's like constantly fighting at my body to like it's fighting my body to like go like in and out um trying to explain it as much as possible if you can get like an imagination of it so it's just trying to break down all those fats but for me I have so much trouble breaking down the fats that it causes um many different things to be enlarged and harder for me to absorb so as I mean I'll get into more detail with theme and pick disease um in the future but during this time you know just because everything wasn't breaking down and everything was so enlarged and you know my spleen was so enlarged everything was like pushing up against my lungs causing me causing me a lot of trouble to breathe and so they the doctors wanted to schedule me for a splenectomy and for those 
for those who don't know what a splenectomy is, basically it is a surgical procedure to remove the spleen. So when imagine a normal size spleen. Mine was probably two times, maybe the most three times bigger than the average spleen. So that's pretty big, especially since my body is so tiny. I'm like, my height is literally, I want to say the last time I measured myself, it's like 4-3. So imagine, you know, a little body and you have like these big, huge, enlarged organs. Of course, that's going to cause somebody you know, to have trouble breathing throughout their life. So basically, you know, they did the splenectomy. Um, and ex- doing this, you know, it helps fight infections and filters on needed materials, so such as old damaged blood cells, you know, etc. All of that. So once they did the splenectomy, you know, I came out of the sur- I came out of the surgery room. And, you know, you try to get up, the nurses and doctors try to wake you up, they try to get you to eat, like, a popsicle or ice chips, just to bring the patient aware. Unfortunately, I wasn't doing that. I was not waking up, I was not eating ice chips, so... Due to this, um, maybe it was the strain from the, the, um, what is it called? The anesthesia. Um, maybe it was just, you know, my body couldn't handle all the stress. Nobody quite knows. But all of a sudden, you know, as the nurses were trying to wake me up, I ended up not breathing. So... You know, I stopped breathing and this, you know, you have like a young child and as parents, you know, you're expecting your child to be okay after surgery and to hear that, you know, your child isn't breathing. You know, I can only imagine what my parents are going through around this time with all this going on. And let me remind you, my mom was, um, my mom was pregnant during this time, so you know, a sick child, you know, or, I'm sorry, my mom did have the baby around this time, because it was 1999, so my brother was born, but, you know, and then you have a sick child, you know, and you find out they're not breathing, so as soon as, um, the nurses noticed that I couldn't breathe, the nurses rushed my parents and gushed one of these um I had like this nurse that I was so close to especially because I was always in and out of the hospital and every time I was like admitted to the hospital I always requested her she always requested me like she was my all-time favorite nurse so um during this time you know it was not only hard for my parents but it was especially hard for her as a nurse you know 
as you know we made a like that close bond so it was so nerve-wracking for her as well to you know she was trying to calm my parents down as well and then you know you have a patient that's not breathing and then um they had to they had to rush all three of them out and they had to put me into ICU and for those who don't know who that is that's just basically intensive the intensive care unit and they had to put me in here and I remember I was well I don't remember but I remember my mom telling me I was in here for a quite a while um I wasn't able to wake up and I remember like as I stopped breathing I just remember having this like and let me remind you I was I was just a kid so as I said I, I just remember having this like bright light like right inside um and it could just been the hospital lights or you know me gazing into the air into the hospital lights but I remember seeing this bright light and I remember my one of my great grandmas who at this time unfortunately during this time too she happened to get very very ill and around the time that I stopped breathing and they put me on a ventilator um my mom told me that she went to go see my great grandma who had also gotten very ill and i remember my mom telling me the first or the last thing that she said to my mom was that and i quote Miha Alyssa is going to be okay. And then she passed away. So as all this was going on, it was a very difficult time. And I've never told anyone this except for my younger brother. Um he was he wasn't too young, but he was young enough to know what his sister was going through when he was born but i remember telling my younger brother cuz he asked me one time and he asked me if i've ever seen and for those who don't believe i understand completely you know you guys have your beliefs i have mine um but to this day i always believe that my great grandmother was my guardian angel sent to bring me back to life and it's so funny because i remember i remember this so well i remember just floating just floating into this thin cloud and talking to my big grandma one last time and just her telling me you need to fight you need to fight me now you can't leave your parents you need to fight and all she kept saying is that i needed to fight and then when my mom told me that she said that i was going to be okay 
um, it wasn't even like, it was like the next day my mom said, like as soon as my great grandma passed away that I woke up. You know, I opened my eyes and I just remember seeing like all these, you know, those bright lights from the hospital. I just remember seeing those waking up and terrified because you, know, you have a tube down your throat. So how can you not be like, terrified? And I'm a huge believer in faith. And I believe my grandmother knew that it was her time to go. But I also know that it was my chance as, you know, she gave me a second chance to live. That my time wasn't, you know, done yet. So, I mean, that was a very scary process going through all that, especially as a child. And from what my parents used to tell me, it was a scary time for them as well. You know, you have a sick child, you know, and then you have a grandma who's sick, and then you're worried that your child isn't going to make it. And then to have my mom's grandma tell her that I'm going to be okay, you know, that's an angel to me. That is a miracle. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't believe in that as much as I do. So, yeah, I mean, that was like the most difficult time that happened to my mom and my dad. And it's so funny, I remember telling my brother this and his face just like lit up. He lit up and just smiled. So, yeah, that was that was that crazy experience of my life. Um, but on to the next thing. So, you know, after all this time went on, you know, I went and I got they wanted to try the second bone marrow, especially because the first the first bone marrow didn't quite take and they didn't want me to get sicker, especially after everything I had just gone through. So the bone marrow I got from my brother was working a little bit and this was from the umbilical, but it wasn't working as well as we hoped it would. It wasn't, um, the umbilical cord, the bone marrow to the umbilical cord was not strong enough. So my doctors and my parents decided to give me a break for about like 30 days. Uh, We ended up staying at the Ronald McDonald house until the next procedure. Uh, Let's see. Before, you know, before the next bone marrow, you know, there's a procedure where you have to, like, basically just wipe the body clean. You have to make sure that the body is out of all, you know, just clean, cleansed of bacteria and all those bad blood cells. 
so before they could do another bone marrow transplant, I had to go through chemo. I had to go through radiation. So due to the chemo and the radiation at the same time, you know, my immune system was just shocked. It was like, it was a shock. My immune system became very weak and I was constantly, constantly drained. I was constantly tired. I was, I was just constantly sleepy, you know. Your body's just not, you know, as a kid, your body's not used to all that chemo. It's not used to the radiation. And then let me remind you, I was on like, I don't know, like maybe 30 pills, you know, throughout the morning, afternoon, and days. And I used to take them three times a day, different medications. So, yeah, that was like not my favorite time during this process. Um, Jumping to around 2021, my brother, whose name is Aaron, was, he, he was only two years old when I had to have my next transplant. And let me remind you, he was the donor, he was the donor for the first transplant and that was the one through the umbilical cord and he was also my donor for my second bone marrow transplant um this time the doctors wanted to do this time the doctors and nurses had to take it from my two-year-old brother so he had to go into a very very scary procedure room and you know like those big huge needles oh my gosh I was like when my mom told me this I felt like I felt so bad because you never want to hear that your sibling has to get poked with like a huge needle especially you know behind their back and knowing that your parent has to hold them down just to get the bone meal so that just that killed me like I was so so sad when I had to hear that they had to stick um the needle into his spinal cord in order to get the bone meal you know, now from someone who constantly goes through pain every day of my life and finding different ways to deal with the pain, I would never, ever wish this on my worst enemy nor my brothers. If I could, I would take their pain away because they don't deserve it. As a sister, you know, you never want to put your siblings through that pain. So, you know, I wish I could have taken the pain from him that day. Uh, I would have wanted not to put my younger brother through this, but, you know, I was only five years old at the time and he was only two. During the second transplant is when life was a whirlpool of emotions. It was, it was crazy. 
father during this time you know there was still constant hospitalizations constant medications and it was just a lot during this time like I said it was a whirlpool of emotions after the transplant I did we did end up staying at the Ronald McDonald house again just to really see how the bone marrow was gonna um process during this time and um the second one did take better so it was helping me they did see a major change in my results in my blood in my um my lab work so the second bone marrow was taking but due to my immune system being so weak and shot i needed to be on medications for the rest of my life and i needed to um have constant doctor's appointments and hospitalizations i remember that i used to have to get ivid and that is intravenous oh my goodness i remember what is it called and i know you medical people know this it is a treatment so it is um hold on i'm going through my list right now It is an infusion, IVAG. Um I had to do this 3 days out of the week. So this took a lot of my time and I was 5 years old. So from I want to say kindergarten to first grade I was homeschooled. and then once they saw that my immune system was a little more set and everything was okay is when i my pain slowly started to put me through school and everything um intravenous immune globulin so that is also known as ivig and this is a product made up of antibodies that can be given intravenously through a vein antibodies are proteins that your body makes to help you to fight infections so like i said due to the chemo and the radiation my everything was shot everything was cleared out of my system and after the bone marrow they wanted to make sure i had these antibodies to help fight any infections and you think covid was t- is difficult now imagine as a kid at 5 years old wearing a mask and gloves every single day because your immune system is that shot so you know i get asked all the time how can i wear a mask every day how can i you know my body is so used to it because that is how much i had to care for myself as a child that's how much my parents had to care for me as a child you know it was constant gloves um medication you know shots um 
masks, gowns, all of that. They we we had to wear all of that. Even when they had to come to see me in the hospital, they had to wear gowns, booties, masks. Sometimes they come in looking like someone from space. That is how shot my immune system was. So, until next time, I will get into start getting into a little bit more about how my Neiman pick was slowly getting better and processing, and um, and it will so I will slowly start to explain Neiman pick a little bit better. And hopefully, I want to share with you guys just a little bit of how my childhood went through after the Neiman Pick. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a wonderful night. I'm sorry this uploaded a little late.